God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that your word is alive and that it ministers to us. It gets personal. It knows how to speak specifically to us. God, I pray that your word would move in such a way in every person this morning where it brings life and it releases something. God, I pray that you would unlock things this morning. And God, I pray that you would speak, Jesus, through me, through this message, God, directly to hearts. God, I believe you have something specific for all of us this morning. God, and I pray that the Broncos would crush Tampa this morning. God, that we would just have our way with Tampa and they would be devastated. God, and I pray for my fantasy football team in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. How many of you um, are like me this day and age that you tend to be a binge watch TV person? You kind of, you have your shows and you love having all the access that we have. I, I, I think it's amazing that we live in the day and age that we do where you can literally just have access to so much entertainment. I mean, I know it's overboard, but I like being able to turn on my TV and having Hulu and Netflix and DVR. I'm literally DVRing the Ryder Cup championship right now, so don't tell me anything. But it's amazing that we have access to so much stuff right now at our fingertips. And with that, my wife and I tend to latch on to a couple of shows. Uh, we recently kind of upgraded our, our cable package. I said it was because we had a child and we're going to be at home more. She thinks I just got a deal that I couldn't resist at Xfinity. But either way, we have a couple of shows that we love to watch. Um, and there was a particular show that we've been watching recently. And I don't endorse it because it's got a couple of scenes you've got to fast forward through. But anyways, this, this, there's a show that we've been watching recently. Um, that kind of caught me off guard with something that was happening on the show. It was, it's, it's about um, a Middle Eastern dictator. He's a king and there's war and there's corruption and the, the people are trying to revolt and overthrow him. There's coups and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And this particular character is um, experiencing something that I think when I was watching, I realized troubles the human spirit. And it was this idea that he was having all this, um, all, things around him were breaking down. His, 
his family was breaking down, his country was breaking down, he had just lost his grandson, so all this turmoil was surrounding him. And he begins to expose what he believes about God when this is happening to him. And it was really interesting because I think at times we could all experience the very same thing because things around him are crumbling and his response in faith and in spirituality was, God, what have I done to deserve your punishment? Why are you punishing me? And I know that this is something that we've all probably wrestled with at times. Like, that we live a certain way and our actions would dictate God's punishment or pleasure towards us. I, I, I get the, the opportunity as, as a pastor, I've been in ministry for about six years, I get to sit down with people in church, out of church, questions about God, questions about faith. And one of the common phrases I hear from people, especially when it pertains to having a lifestyle of going to church, of people that don't currently go to church, they'll say something like this, well, I can't walk into that place because lightning would strike. As soon as I walk in the doors, like, boom, I'm, I'm done. And I get where they're coming from. It's, it's this idea that they've made mistakes, they've done wrong, and they feel condemned for it. And so they stay away and avoid church because they know they would have to deal with some sort of repercussion, some, some punishment. And I think it's a reality that we have to address because it affects how we live. It affects how we perceive God. It affects our journey with Jesus. It affects our faith, what we believe, how we live. And why do we allow this sense of punishment to creep in? I want to give you a couple of thoughts that just to kind of preface before we move into a little bit more meat here. But these are some thoughts as I contemplated this and just prayed about it and really thought about what causes us to live with a sense of punishment. The first one is the word recompense, that you've got to pay for what you've done. You've got to make the wrongs right. You deserve some sort of punishment for that. Second is this idea of performance, that you haven't done enough. And because of that, you get punished. You haven't lived up and held up your side of the bargain. You haven't performed well enough, so you deserve punishment. And the third one is unworthiness. Just living with a general sense that you don't believe you deserve anything good. Those things can truly plague the heart, the mind, and our lives. And if I'm completely honest this morning and transparent, these are things that have deeply affected my own life. I've, I've, I've walked through some of these things and dealt with the agony and the depths of what these things are. I, I, I've known times in my own life when I've lived a certain way where I felt like no matter what I did, I deserved calamity and chaos. That that made sense to me and that's what I deserved. And I can tell you when, you, when you live with this sense of punishment surrounding you at all times, that whatever you do, you're going to have punishment coming your way, it causes you to walk on eggshells. That 
every move you make, there's going to be a catastrophic repercussion for it. And that lifestyle, living on eggshells at all times, causes a great deal of anxiety. Causes a great deal of stress to your spirit and your soul. And you miss out on so much. You miss out on so much. I've even went through times in my life where I've battled how I just simply internalize things. How I perceive the world around me and what's happening. Perceiving it through a lens contempt or condemnation. No matter how good or bad the situation was or what was said about me or said to me, I perceived it with this lens of contempt and shame or guilt or condemnation. And I say these things because I think Jesus, one, has a plan, two, has breakthrough, but three, Jesus dealt with this stuff. Like, he addressed it. It says Jesus was a man of sorrows. He, he, he didn't overlook or bypass the, 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 the real struggles that we experience. Those things weighed on him. And I believe Jesus looked at people knowing with a sorrowful heart what they were going through. How do we break out of this kind of belief? If these things have plagued you at any, any time in your life, like I've got to pay back my wrongs or I've got to perform better or I'm just not worthy, how do, you, how do you move out of that? How do you shift that type of lifestyle? I want to look at that scripture that we started out with, 1 John 4. I'm going to break down kind of a couple of sentences through this passage because it's got some answers, it's got some truth, it's got some gold nuggets for us. First, First John four sixteen, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. This has got to be the very bedrock of who we are. As believers, as people and followers of Jesus, the very foundation of our walk has to be God loves me. And not just loves me, but God's definition of love has the greatest standard of anything on planet earth, and that is unconditional. It's unconditional love. You can read 1 Corinthians 13 and see the breakdown of what that looks like. But it's, it's this word agape, and it means unconditional. It's unconditional love. And we know and rely on, we lean into that love. That's unconditional. 1 John 4, 17. This is how love is complete among us. So that we will have confidence. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. This is how love is complete among us so that we will have confidence. This paints the picture that this is a process that's being worked out in you. That God's love has the power but you have it to give it the access to seep into every area of your life. It has to permeate into every area of your life. How you do relationships, how you view your past, how you view your career, your purpose, your finances. It's got to seep into every area because when you have that settled on the inside of you, nothing can change it. Nothing can stop it. 
1 John 4.18, there is not fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So that love that's unconditional as it permeates every area of your life, it has a power to push out fear. It has a power to drive away any sort of punishment that you feel you may deserve. We, just, we give access to it. We say, God, I give myself to your love. I give myself to this unconditional love. But you have to give it access, and giving it access means you have to be exposed. It means you let that love go into the places that may be painful or hurtful or tragic. And when this love gets into your life, it changes those places. Because those places, good or bad, they shape you. And they form who you are. But this love that God has for you, as it begins to take over in those places, it says who you are. It forms your identity. And when your identity is formed in this love, your identity and, that ex- and, and your acceptance is not based on what you do or don't do. Because it's based on a sacrifice that was paid and expensed on your behalf. God's love was paid not because we were down here on earth performing so well. Actually, we're a mess. And God says, I so love that broken world and those broken, hurting people that I'm going to love. You couldn't earn that. You couldn't perform for that love. So God's love for you and your identity and your acceptance is not based on anything that you do or don't do. It's based on his sacrifice and the expense that he paid. That's, that's the gospel. That's the greatest message to ever hit planet earth. And as that love comes into your life, there's some things that we get to embrace, that we get to accept and hold on to and cherish and anchor our soul into. These are a couple of thoughts for your, if you're taking notes this morning. These are things for us to embrace. Number one is he loves me. It's unconditional. It's without merit. We didn't do anything for it. He, he loves me. That, as you embrace that, changes everything. Second one is, he accepts me. He accepts me. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my life trying to earn the acceptance of other people. And when you base your life on trying to win the affection and attention of other people, it's schizophrenic. Meaning if people accept you, you live high. If people reject you, you live low. God's acceptance never changes. You can live in the place of eternal acceptance. You can live in the place where you are infinitely accepted. You didn't earn it. You don't get rejected. You don't get pushed aside. You don't get forgotten about. You get accepted. Next point is he forgives me. He looks at my past, he looks at my present, he looks at my future, and he sees a cross. And he says, 
I forgive you. My son paid the price. We get to embrace that reality, and that reality has the power to cancel out the curse of punishment because you're forgiven. This is the last one. This is one that throws people off a little bit. It took me a while and still grappling with this one, but this one is is a truth that I found throughout Scripture. He likes me. God likes me. He likes you. He wants to be with you. He created you. He, he, he sees you as son or daughter, and he, he likes you. Like he wants to spend time with you. In that same example about acceptance and rejection of people, that thing can be back and forth and like a tug-of-war match. But with God, he likes you. And that, I found that truth to be a refuge. Because when I'm struggling with the world or whatever, I can go to him and I can realize there's a, there's a pleasure there. That he, he's pleased because I'm with him and he likes me. I want to read this piece of scripture just kind of over you. Just let this kind of wash over you this morning because this is kind of putting a bow tie on this section of my message. 1 John 3.18. It says, My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. Let's embrace real love. Let's let love operate in our lives. Let's live real love. This is the only way we'll know we're truly living. Living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down self-debilitating self-criticism. Even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts. And knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of, we are no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. We are no longer afflicting punishment. We are bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive what we ask for because we're doing it with what he said, doing what pleases him. Man, that's good. That is so good. I remember moments when I first got saved. I, uh, before I came to know Jesus in a personal way, I, um, I lived a pretty debaucherous life. I, I went to a pretty big party university and made a lot of bad choices and did some things I'm, I just was not proud of. And there was a relationship that ended, and this relationship ended caused, caused me to have to really reflect on my life. Because as that relationship crumbled around, so did I. As that relationship broke down, so did I as well. And I remember kind of in the thick of that season of my life, just getting to know Jesus, and he was kind of bringing up some stuff. I remember I woke up one morning, and I was um, standing in front of the mirror. I was having my Michael Jackson man-in-the-mirror moment. The, ow! Like my Michael Jackson man-in-the-mirror, let's get real moment. And I realized that the weight of all my decisions that I had made caught up to me. 
And I didn't like the person that I had become. I, I, I looked at this, at this mirror and I was deeply troubled with what I saw. Because the decisions of a person lead up to who that person is. And I, I knew that the decisions I had made over the last few years was not the person that I wanted to see in that mirror. And God brought up those decisions so that I could see them. He presented those in front of me so that I had to see that stuff. I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life. But do you know that God, since that moment, and I, and I had to address who I was and what I had become, and I accepted his payment for my penalty, that God never once brought shame or guilt or condemnation for my past and the decisions that I had been so troubled by. That he, from that moment, put the trajectory of my life on a totally different, totally different wavelength than I could have ever expected. And, and, and looking in the mirror allowed me to reflect on what I had become, but it also told me that there was a future and a hope. Because his grace, his grace washed over all those things and allowed me to look towards my future and say, you know what? Even though I'm so troubled by these decisions, they no longer define me. They no longer make me who I am. Jesus, in this moment, your grace it says who I am. And there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's nothing that can hold me back from the life that you have for me. This past no longer has any power. And when we realize this grace that God has for us, it untangles chains wrapped all around our heart. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture one of my like just favorite, I go to it all the time. I just reflect on it and realize the power and the reality of it. Romans 8.1, it says, There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Even when I want to put condemnation on myself or think I deserve it or punishment, the reality from God's vantage point is there is no condemnation. There is none. And I mentioned a moment ago that relationship that had devastated me. A few years later, I be, God began to prepare me for marriage. And this is just a side note. If you're single in this place, don't be hungry for marriage. Be hungry for God to prepare you for marriage. Because when you so badly want the relationship, the relationship, God's saying, I'm so badly wanting to get you ready for the relationship. That's a just... Some free advice for some single people. That I, I worked with young adults for a long time, so I preached that message quite a bit. But, but I remember when God was preparing me for marriage, and he brought up this, this past relationship. And what God was doing, now that I look back on it, he was, he was untangling some things in my heart because I wasn't ready for a relationship. And one of the things that he started to deal with me is the decisions and the choices that I had made in that relationship. And I felt a lot of shame about it. I felt a lot of guilt about it. And I came to this verse, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation. And I remember the moment. I was sitting on my couch in my apartment. I remember the moment reading this verse. This verse 
became, went from just being a text in a book to alive in my heart. Because what it did was, is it freed me. And what it did also was it allowed me to forgive myself. Because you can understand God's forgiveness for you, but you can walk around bondage to yourself. You can walk around casting shame and guilt and punishment on yourself. And I realize if God says he forgives me, who am I not to? Who am I not to? And when I realized that and that breakthrough began to well up on the inside of me, there's a gift on the other side. The gift is confidence and assurance. That you are assured in who you are and what God is doing in your life. And that assurance is worth gold. When you have security on the inside, there is, there is nothing like it. An eternal security that comes from the God of the universe, when you have that security deposited on the inside of you and you're dr- withdrawing from it, oh, it, there's nothing that can compare to that. So you're sitting here and you're hearing this message and you might be thinking, okay, God forgives me and he doesn't punish me for my sins. And you could be thinking, so what does it matter what I do? If I'm forgiven and if he's not going to punish me for anything I do, what's, what's it matter what I do then? I could do whatever I want. There's kind of this sweeping message throughout the church across the planet right now about how do we not take advantage of grace? Like this whole greasy grace message. Well, I'm going to use grace to get away with whatever I want. That's, that's kind of a message that there's a tension about in the church on the planet right now. I think it's a pretty simple and stupid message, though. Because, because if you really understand, if you really understand the magnitude and the fruit of sin, you would want nothing to do with it. You wouldn't be trying to get away with sin. Because, because sin robs you of life. Sin robs you of life. And so that's the first thing I would say if you're sitting here and say, well, what does it matter what I do? Well, it matters because sin's going to keep stealing from you. And the second thing is, God's a good father. And because he's a good father, he not only has salvation for you, which is forgiveness of sin, eternal destiny locked up and secured, but he also has freedom for you. He also has liberty He also wants you to live in such a way where that stuff no longer keeps you down and holds you back. He wants us to live free. He wants us to live untangled and uninhibited. If you're you're taking notes, this is the next one on the blank. Grace is the apparatus necessary to free us. Like his grace is the thing that God uses to free you. Even though people think grace is their hall pass to get away with whatever they want, grace is actually the tool and the apparatus that God uses to free you. What do I mean by that? Let me unpack this for just a minute. Titus 2, verse 11 through 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers 
salvation to all people. Let me just stop right here. Sometimes people, I believe Christians think that salvation is the end result. Salvation is not the finish line. Salvation is the starting point. Salvation, even though as amazing it is, you're free. I mean, you've been forgiven. Your place in heaven is secure. That doesn't just mean life stops and everything's over and you just, okay, I'm, okay, I'm good. I'm, I got my passport to heaven. No, it's that salvation is the open door to a free life. So salvation to all people, it says, it says, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Let me break this down just a little bit more. There's an analogy I've used for quite some time, but it's so simple but so clear of what, how grace can teach us. Grace can teach us to live a life that God has for us. If Think about a, a father teaching a child to ride a bicycle. It's, it's, it's an experience many of us have, have gone through. We remember moments we you know, got our bicycle or our tricycle and you know, we get on our bike and we cruise around our neighborhoods. I remember growing up when I was little, we had a little rat pack of kids on our BMX bikes and your BMX bike was kind of your status. You know, if you had pegs, you were, you were up there. And then if you could hit jumps, you're even, you know, if your parents allowed you to ride down to the grocery store and pick up sodas, you were even, even far. But anyways, your bike was kind of your status symbol. But think about a father raising a, teaching a child how to ride a bicycle. If that father, every time the child falls off the bike, shames him, brings guilt, or expresses immense frustration because they can't figure out how to ride this bicycle, that kid's never going to want to ride a bike again. That kid's actually going to resent the bicycle because all it represents is that the father's displeased with them. But if a father sees and teaches a child with grace, hey, I know you're falling back up. Are you falling down? Let's get back up. Hey, you can do this. Put your, hand, put your hands here. Pedal like this. That grace enables and empowers that child to not only ride the bicycle, but excel. Because he loves the experience. And he's learned something, not with shame or punishment, but with grace. And that's how God wants to teach us to live, is he uses grace to teach us, not to get away with stuff. He doesn't shame you because you mess up. He says, it's okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Your next fill in the blank is grace creates an environment for growth. Grace creates an environment for your growth. Punishment and fear, they just create hostility and animosity and frustration. I believe that's one of the reasons a lot of people avoid church. Because if they think church is about fear and punishment or they've experienced churches that are super legalistic and they throw fear and condemnation or shame at people for their lifestyle, of course they'd want to stay away from that kind of place. Duh. Like, of course they would want to stay out. I wouldn't want to go to a church or be a part of something that's just going to make me feel bad or tell me how wrong I am or how, you know, just pour shame on me. 
But when there's grace, it creates an environment for growth and development. And God's not afraid of your mess. God's not afraid of handling all your dysfunction, your past, your family history. God's not afraid of handling all that stuff. He actually welcomes it. He actually, one of my, one of my other favorite verses, I don't have this in our notes, one of my other favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, it says for us to boast in our weakness because God's grace is made perfect in our weakness. Made perfect in our weakness. He, he, he welcomes our messes, our dysfunction, our, our problems because he knows he can reroute them and fix them and give us the life that he has for us. So God's spirit of grace is a tool he uses to grow us. It also, God's grace also changes the way we perceive things, our actions, and our thoughts. It changes those things. It changes the lens in which we see life. It changes the way in which we view things. It changes the way we think about things, the way we act, the way we respond and react. It changes that stuff. Do you know that you can, in this, in this context of dealing with, with punishment and, and shame and stuff like that, do you know that we, in, we as humans have the annoying capability of having thoughts about our thoughts? Like we can sit back and think, why did I think that? Or why did I act that way? Or why did I respond that way? It's like the movie Inception, a dream within a dream within a dream. You have thoughts within a thought within a thought. Like why, why, did, I, why did I do that? And we can live in this constant state of analyzing and judging our very actions and behaviors and thoughts. You want to talk about frustration. That can be a whole like, world of just frustration. The Holy Spirit and his amazing, limitless grace and possibilities towards us can change all that stuff. The Bible says it calls our thought patterns, our mindsets, it, it calls those things strongholds. That those things have a force inside of them and they get locked up in the inside of our, of our thinking. And they can never be changed unless they're addressed sometimes. Those things can, can literally restrict the way you think and live. But the Holy Spirit has a solution. Jesus tells us in John 16, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being given to us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit being deposited. He's talking to his disciples saying, I'm getting ready to leave, but I'm going to leave you with a helper. Check this out, John 16. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I'll use Amazon Prime, and it'll get there really fast. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
Just bookmark that in your mind for a moment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is to be judged. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to be given to you. And when he comes, he's going to be a helper, but he's going to convict of three categories. First, he says that, that, that first category is the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin. I remember my moment in the mirror. There was a conviction, a realization of my decisions, my sin, my mistakes. That was real. On the back end of this, it says that he will convict the enemy, Satan, with judgment. You can read the book of Revelations and see God's amazing game plan and strategy of how he's going to defeat Satan. But that middle category says he will convict of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does that mean? Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the ones who've decided to follow him. If, if you're sitting here this morning and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you're in this category. You're in the category of the disciple, the one who follows him. Okay, so what's the application? That means when the Holy Spirit moves and operates and works in your life, in my life, He is going to convict us, not of sin or judgment, but of righteousness. So that means when you make mistakes or you make failures or you're caught up in sin, God doesn't come and bring shame or judgment. He comes and says, no, this is who you are. I see righteousness in you. This person that's doing all this stuff over here, that's not you. You've been set free from that person. This is the person who you are. This is the person I see you as. The person who's loving, who's filled of grace, who's filled of kindness and passion and generosity and freedom. God says, that's the person I see. You don't have to stay locked up in this person anymore because that's no longer you. So I'm gonna convict you not of judgment or of sin, but of righteousness. Jesus paid a price so that we can be seen as blameless and holy. Jesus paid a price so that we are no longer identified or defined by our sin, our past. We are defined by his grace and his righteousness. That's who he sees when he sees you. And it unlocks you. It keeps you from punishment. It keeps you from living a life of condemnation that so badly ensnares you. That so damages the spirit that God has placed inside of you. When you realize that he doesn't see me as a mistake, he sees me as righteous. He sees me as a person and a a child that he loves and that he wants to be with. This is who God sees when he sees me. It changes everything. You can walk free. You don't have to worry if when you fail that you're going to be displeased and disrupt the heavens and God's going to bring shame on you. You can realize that grace is going to cover you and pick you back up and you can keep going because God loves you and he accepts you and he forgives you and he likes you. We just have to embrace it. 
We just have to let it seep into every part of who we are. I want to pray for you this morning. If you could just close out everything around you. Just get quiet before God. God, I thank you that you're alive and that you have good things for us and that you want to free us from any past, present, or future sin that tries to trap us and hold us back. That you so badly want to unlock the spirit on the inside of us because you showed that by giving your son the very precious gift that you had to communicate to a broken people that you want us to live free. God, I pray that you'd minister to people this morning. I pray that you would minister into places that are hurt, that are broken, that are dysfunctional, that have been cursed, that have been rejected, that family or friends that are supposed to be the ones that love them have either said something or done something that have, that have brought a mindset of condemnation or shame. God, or, 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 or patterns or choices or decisions that have been made in this room, God, that people feel like they continually have to pay for. I pray that you would release that, that you would break that, that you would set the captives free as you, de- as you de- declare, Jesus. If you're here in this place this morning and you're hearing this and something on the inside of you is jumping up and down, like leaping on the inside of you. God's wanting to speak to you. God's wanting to meet with you. God's wanting to give you the very gift that he paid for. So I want to leave you with you.